Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. I am your host Mark Kaler and today we have Captain Pat Cummings with us today. How are you today Pat? Good Mark, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. So you've uh, you've listened to all the ones we have posted at this point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you know what you're getting into. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's start at the beginning. Go ahead. What would you like? Where well, were you born? How was I, was, I was born in Seattle, raised here. Uh, my parents were born and raised here, or my dad was. And uh, big Seattle family. I went to uh, school down Olympia to boarding school for high school. And uh, went to college. I graduated from uh, Texas Maritime Academy. Okay, so you, w something steered you in that direction. You were already looking at the water then, right? Actually, I, I, uh, when I was, I was going to community colleges and uh, working on the ferries part-time. And then uh, that turned into full-time. And I got a license there, but I, I always just wanted to go outside. I always wanted to sail outside. And jobs were so bad back then. What, what time period was this? The 1960, between 67 and 70, uh, 72. Mm -hmm. It was really tough. And, and if anybody from Seattle remembers that period in time, it was really tough in Seattle for any kind of jobs. Uh, and how, so in 67, 70, I graduated from high school in 67. Okay. All right. And, so it gives uh, us a, an age group there. Yeah. You? Kind of bummed around uh, doing other jobs, going in and out of school. And then I'd got this job working just part time on the ferries and uh, stayed with it and it was a route to getting some merchant marine document I had it that's where I got my first license mm -hmm. was uh, for the ferries. AB or was it? What's that? Was it an AB license? No it was a mate's I had an AB license and then I got a mate's license there okay. on the ferries I think I was like 22 or 23 I'd gotten just a, I used all the seat time and got it. Okay. And then uh, I realized I wasn't going to be able to get out through like the SIU or get on with the tug companies or something like that. So mm -hmm. uh, I saved up some money and I applied for uh, the Maritime Academies, got in, and then uh, went that route. And was there any focus in that academy or it just Yeah, originally I was going to be an engineer. So my first uh, year there, that summer cruise was in the Caribbean and uh, in a steamship and that I wanted to see daylight after that. I'd, I didn't. I didn't want to be be stuck down there. Down that. there in the no, box. No, nah, too much heat, not can, enough. Can you tell us a little? We I, I, we haven't had anybody on that has went through the uh, the at least a, a expressed or told us about going through the Maritime Academy. What's what's that experience like? How long does it take? What what are you picking it, up? It, it's a four year deal. Uh, you get out of there with a uh, third engineers on our third assistant engineers on license or a third mates. Uh, ocean license it's a start you know it's basically the bottom of the rung in the ocean business okay and you start there and, and you said you did the summer cruise is that part of that well yeah you have to see time and uh, you have to pay I'd pay for this and uh, you had to pay for the cruise you had to pay for everything and you had to have uh, 180 days of sea time in a four-year period uh, to get the license so they just put you on a boat and sent you out to the uh, Caribbean? They had two training ships and then you did a, a, a cadet shipping on a merchant ship for usually your uh, sophomore, junior year. Mm -hmm. You'd go do that. Mm -hmm. So you came out of that and got out of the engine room and saw some sunlight and thought... Yeah, I went, I, I had a mate's license. I was going to go for an engineer's license and I just thought I wanted to pursue the other route. Mm -hmm. So where'd you go? Uh, I worked for... Uh, my first job was at, when I graduated. I'd, I'd worked 
while I was in school down in the Gulf, I would work part-time jobs too. They actually it was kind of a good deal with Texas Maritime. I would on my vacations, uh, the breaks, or uh, even while I was at school, I had a job with G&H Towing, working part-time on a harbor tug in Galveston Harbor there where the school was at. And uh, I could go out and work that and then get off it and go to class. I skipped a lot of classes. I see. Yeah. I see. Uh, when I graduated, I went to work for a bulk uh, company for Reynolds Metals Corporation. It was a non-union job. And uh, did that for a couple of years. It was... Uh, Originally, I, when I signed on, it, I, I took the job because it went from Corpus Christi to Longview, Washington. And so I'd get home every 78 days. And uh, so I liked that idea. So what were, you, what were they doing? They hauled uh, bulk alumina. Uh, sometimes we'd go over to Jamaica and haul bauxite from Jamaica over to uh, Corpus. Mm -hmm. And then they hauled bulk alumina from uh, Corpus. Uh, to Longview, and then at the Longview plant, they refined it to aluminum. Okay, so a couple of years doing that. A couple of years doing that. Uh, I took a trip over to Egypt, and uh, they after actually, no, I didn't spend a couple of years doing that. I only made about three trips doing that, and then uh, they shut the uh, Longview plant down for a while, and they put they had two of these ships, bulk carriers, and they put them on the spot charter market, and we ended up going all over the world. Uh, which was sounds like fun then, but actually, you were just going to every crap hole in the country mm -hmm. uh, with bulk product. Sitting and uh, so the last trip I made with them, uh, we'd gone over to Egypt, and we were there for like three months unloading this uh, pipe in Atabea, just south of Suez, and uh, it just it was terrible, and we were stuck there. So when we got back. Uh, we were going to the uh, Alabama shipyard and dry dock in Mobile, and the ship was going to get laid up for its uh, biannual, well, basically every 18 months they had to go in. And, and uh, the poet was another bulk carrier hauling on contract, uh, hauling coal, and it sank. And it was actually supposed to do the second part of that contract. So when it went down uh, and we were on our way back, they diverted us automobile and then when they sent the relief uh, crew relief in my name wasn't on it and I didn't I knew we were going to get that second contract to go back to Egypt and I didn't want to do it so I quit I came back out to Seattle I was living in Anacortesan anyhow and uh, I started shipping out of the MMP hall in Seattle and uh, made it to Alaska somehow well uh, the first boat I ever worked on was never left the dock it was my neighbors uh, with me on it it did leave the dock and that was in 66 a guy named Erling Hansen was my neighbor and his brother Vic Hansen uh, they'd gotten a, Erling had a boat called the Marine View and he was king crab fishing in Kodiak and uh, so I was still in high school and they purchased that uh, boat I think it was down in South America uh, doing tuna off sh offshore on the uh, West Coast South America and they brought it up here to PFI and they were re-outfitting it to take it to Alaska and they were going to fish king crab out of Dutch Harbor with it. Now, Erling had been fishing the marine view out of Kodiak for king crab and he had a partner uh, Edmund's attorney named Milt Slater I think uh, they'd got this thing together and then Vic Hansen was going to be the captain 
and they'd put a crew together and they had it down here in the yard and I was home from high school and uh, Erling said well you can go I was looking for work and he said you can come down and work the boat in the shipyard will pay you by the hour to do work down there I don't even remember what I got paid but mm-hmm. I said yeah I'd always been kind of conning him he, he had a, a purse center for southeast and I was always kind of when I you know I was always trying to get on he'd, he'd take his kid up with him and I never got an opportunity to that so I, I jumped on this and uh, wasn't I don't know it's June July and I think the boat the boat sailed for Dutch about mid-August I was due back in high school uh, Vic and uh, the engineer on there I can't remember his name the guy's name was we called him Yank he was he was what I'd call older maybe he was maybe 40 then or something oh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, they asked if I was, you know, would consider going up and going with them. And oh, hell yeah. And I went to my dad and that ended that. You know, he, so. <laughs> he, 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 he just looked at me. He didn't even give me an answer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go. And then, unfortunately, the boat on its way up sank in Unimac Pass with all hands. So uh, it went down. Uh, no one was ever seen again. And... Uh, I remember being over at Chris's house, uh, Erling was there, and they were trying to get information from the Coast Guard as to what was going on, and I remember Chris just looking at me going, yeah, hey, uh, God, you were lucky, they, they wanted you to go, and I didn't think, yeah, 16, I'm not thinking about that, and right. the reality of that stuff doesn't hit you, well, I guess my old man was right, Yeah. Well, that was the first shot at going to Alaska. Uh, next time I actually was going up there shipping out of Seattle for Sealand Corporation, uh, going to uh, from containers, uh, as third mate from Seattle to uh, Anchorage, and then uh, every third trip go to Kodiak, if I remember rightly. Was that lo- is that similar to how Coastal is today? That, uh... No, this this is no. These are uh, they had the Portland and the uh, Newark, and they were. Converted C5s that they'd put ice bands around, and uh, they'd started the service there. It's like what Tote does. Uh, those guys out of Tacoma, same thing. They they're roll on, roll off, and Tote was operating back then. Sealand was their competition, and they were just container ships. Hmm. I don't know what they were. They were they weren't at 560 footers or something like that, and they're strictly containers, no break bulk, mm-hmm. and uh, it was all quick. You, you were in and out of there real fast. And they did 18 knots, which after being on a bulk carrier, which did like nine, was you'd like get a nosebleed. Yeah, you thought, yeah. yeah, you thought you were cruising. Uh, and those, that was just relief work, and things were really hard out of there. Um, so I was sitting at home unemployed. How old are you now? Oh gosh, uh, I'd graduate. I'm 27, 28, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. Uh, 29. I think I'm 29, and. Uh, there's no, I can't get uh, any any ships out of the hall, and uh, my wife's friend's boyfriend, uh, Jake Jacobson, he's an attorney now, uh, called the house and said uh, there were these guys looking for, they needed a mate to bring a, a fish processor down from uh, Dutch Harbor. And if I was looking for, you know, if I'd do it, they just needed a guy just to go up there, fly up and bring it down on the delivery. And I said, yeah. Just using yeah. your paper, essentially. Yeah, yeah, just sit on it, paper. And uh, 
So they ended up uh, actually flying me to Cold Bay, not to Dutch. And because uh, the guy had brought it over to Dutch, and the Coast Guard wasn't happy about that because they told them he, they, they'd hammered them. It was the, actually, it was the old Western Pioneer, the wooden tug, that had been converted to a freighter, renamed to Western Pioneer. And then Denton Sherry, Whitney Fidalgo owned it at the time. And uh, they chartered it out for something. And uh, the Coast Guard, they basically were hauling freight. They had it, or they were told them they had it as pro. When I <laughs> went on board, I got on board in Cold Bay, and they had these plate freezers that weren't connected to anything, just sitting there. And that was what their excuse was, saying they were a processor. But oh, so it wasn't even a processor. It no, it was hauling freight. It basically all was hauling yeah. freight. Yeah, okay. and uh, the Coast Guard busted them because uh, they couldn't haul freight, apparently. The ship had an issue with it, and uh, so I took it down. Uh, and that these guys are getting paid by the day, and that was we took the scenic route. I think that was like a 15-day trip. We hold up every the guy, you know, they they're all getting paid by the day. I was not at that point in time. I'm not thinking we go, you know, great circle straight from Colbay to Bully Juliet and get it over with. Right. These guys. I got to see a lot of Southeast Alaska and Canada, and uh, we sat around. They did a lot of uh, a lot of fishing, a lot of hook time, waiting for weather, uh, earning that money. They were, they were, yeah, they were, <laughs> they were, they were getting their daily rate, and yeah. uh, which is something being a good old union boy, I was used to. I'm, I was good with that, yeah. and I needed the money, but I, it wasn't much. It paid like a, I think I was getting hundred bucks a day. So that you were twenty nine. I was 29, that was... Uh, 78, 79? Uh, yeah, well, no, I, I think, you know, that would have been 80. So, uh, no, I'd have been 31. Yeah, oh, I think I was, I was 19. Say, I was going to say, either my math's bad, or you were well, in high school until you were no, 20. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a possibility. I think I was 31. Okay. At, uh, 80, 81. Because okay. that next summer is when I, I got hired by uh, Baranoff Courageous, okay. I think, the next summer. So... That would have been, nah, yeah, it's 31, 32. These, it, it's molding a little bit here on the getting it together mm-hmm. on that kind of stuff. Remembering these dates and the years. Oh, we're, we're close. We're close. And uh, so next thing, uh, I got done with that and went home. They called me at the end of January. wanted to know if I would go do herring with them as the mate. And they'd actually converted it into a processor. And Bob Bingham, uh, Lafayette Fisheries, had got it, had it on charter from Denton Sherry. Uh, and I'm trying to remember, it was a Lafayette. He had this mud boat named the Lafayette. He also had uh, some 40-foot vans on the back of it. I, I know the Lafayette yeah. very well. I worked on that deck. Did you? Yeah. When did you work on that? Oh, it had 93, 94 Oh, no, maybe? this was... Uh, but in the Northwest days. Northwest oh, okay, was, when Northwest had it. Yeah. Uh, Bob was quite the character. And... Uh, that was my first real experience of uh, dealing with fishing. And uh, was on the courageous. No, was on the back on the Western Pioneer doing herring. How, how big was the Western Pioneer? She was a hundred and eighty footer. Mm-hmm. But basically, what Bob had done is he was just using it for storage, for cold storage, and he'd do all the production on the uh, uh, Lafayette. We'd tie up next to him, and then. Swing it over. Yeah, because Lafayette had no cold storage on her, and mm-hmm. so we were using. And she she stored quite a bit. She had uh, 
hold with twin decks forward and a whole you know, twin decks aft. But Mary Falls gear is on her, and she had double twin decks aft. And yeah, she stored quite a bit of product on there. And uh, she had a couple of blast free, portable blast freezers on there, but they were not made to do herring, and they, they there was no production really out of that boat. It was mainly, yeah, yeah, which was. Okay for me because I was getting paid by the day, but he had some guys on there that were on case rate mm -hmm. or hourly. I can't remember how he paid them. As so far as you're, processors, you were, you were mating on that boat. I was the mate on there, okay. yeah. Well, also so-called production supervisor, and I didn't know crap about it, but okay. I learned a lot real fast. Yeah. And uh, we went started at Chris Shanks in March, went up to uh, Sitka, then did Prince William Sound. Then went over and did Tojiak, and then we ended up at Cape Ramonsoff, and we did a venture there with the Native Corporation out of Bethel on Herring that he had just the other side of Nunavak Island up there. And then I went down uh, to the bay, and then they were going to do salmon, and um, that just was, uh, I've been on there too long already. How long? Well, so I started, we started converting and loading the boat in Tacoma. In, uh, and I think they called me about mid-January. So, and I lived in Anacortes. I was down there all week, go home on weekends. And we sailed to make Kershanks in March, which is, I don't know, mid-March, towards the end of March, I think. And then from there, so from there until uh, we hit the uh, Ramon's off. So Tojiak went off. Then we went to Ramon's, and you sat. Well, Tojiak was long. We sat there for a while. I remember I think we sat there for a couple weeks before the herring came in. It was my first experience with that, mm -hmm. and I didn't quite understand what was going on. Yeah. Then well, went when to they're Romanza. not there, they're not there, but when they show up, they're all there. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a bang, yep. and it's done. And then you got to get it all put away. And then we went to uh, Ramon's off, and then I think we made it to the bay about, about the first week of June. Okay. Uh, then I got off. You're done. I was done with a Western Pioneer, and uh, Bob, Bob's wife Beverly. Did you, uh, did you know the Bingham? Did you know Bobby? No. She was. Um, uh, it, it's possible, but I don't no. remember. Uh, I, I had a little trouble getting along with her, then. and uh, <laughs> so it was probably best I got out of there early. Okay. So you came back to Seattle. Came back to Seattle. Tried to find some work or whatever, and I, uh, I think I was out mowing my father-in-law's lawn in Anacortes, and uh, walked in the house, and there was a friggin' newspaper ad there for a relief captain for summer processing in Bristol Bay, and uh, so I called the number, and then they told me to come down there, and uh, I interviewed with them, and then they called me up and said they wanted me to do the job. So I uh, went on board the boat over here. It was in the yard here at Foss, Baranoff. And uh, they were loading it. Uh, we were doing shipyard on it at the same time, getting it ready to go back up. They were on contract to Peter Pan. And uh, Chuck Hosmer hired me. He was their full-time captain. So I was 32 maybe by then, I think. Chuck was 28. Mm -hmm. Guys were a lot younger then running boats. Yeah. I mean, he was running that Baranoff for... Uh, I think a year and a half before that, when he took over. He probably seemed seasoned, though, didn't he? No. He didn't, he didn't seem, oh, he seemed young? No. Yeah, he seemed young. I was young. He seemed younger than me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he, 
he knew how to fish. There's no doubt about that. He knew what he was doing. But well, that's uh, what I mean by yeah. Season. But I mean, uh, really. Maui, what, you think? Sure, you think, but not. You know, I mean, no. He's 28. <laughs> he's 20. He, he, that ain't changed the fact he's 28, he's 28 and I'm not much older. 80s. Yeah, and I'm not much older. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and uh, but he he did know. He did know what he was doing. Well, not no doubt in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he spent some time learning it. And he'd learn. And he'd learn from the Baranoff had some guys on it that knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. and they were aggressive, aggressive crab fishermen. And this was just a processed summer salmon. Mm-hmm. So I went up to the bay, uh, spent the summer up there. Uh, let's see, I got. I'm going to get a little confused on where we went and what we did. We did Bristol Bay. On the Baranoff, I did Bristol Bay, and then uh, the next summer when I ran it, I think uh, we did the bay, and then they sent me to Kodiak Larson Bay to uh, do a contract there with Larson Bay uh, Cannery there on uh, freezing number one pinks, mm-hmm. uh, doing an in-the-round uh, freeze on them or something. There was a deal like that. And then uh, in between time, I worked relief mate form in the, uh, see, the first winter I went and did uh, single pot brown crab out west in the Aleutians. And then I got off there, and then they put me over on the Courageous to do Baird Eye. And then that's the first time we did Opelio, so... How big is the Courageous? It's a 180-footer. How, many, how many people on board? It depends on what you were doing. Uh, we processed Opelio. We had bunks for 36, so we filled the bunks. Mm-hmm. We did, when we were doing longline and cod, uh, we'd do 24 to 28, depending upon what, how, how, you know, mm-hmm. just who we could get and... So was a platform easy to switch over from species? Uh, not originally, no. But uh, both, uh, what we originally did uh, with the Baranoff, we got into this black cod thing on the pot fishing. And uh, so the next year we came down and that fall, this is the second summer I worked running it for relief for salmon. And then uh, we did a conversion to black cod pot fishing and went off the coast of Washington here. And I worked mate on that. And then uh, it went up to southeast, caused a little issue with the black cod thing in the pots. And then uh, they called me up and asked me to come down and if I'd, if I'd captain the Courageous and do the same thing. So we converted it over to long line and black cod. Was that the first set of keys you got, the Courageous? Uh, you mean where the, the whole the thing was mine? Captain of the boat, yeah. No, I was captain of the Baranoff during the summer. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought you were relief captain. Or, well, yeah, I guess that that is still. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, now you're the main captain. Now I'm the guy that's got uh, is working on budgeting, crap mm-hmm. like that, sure. and stuff like that. What year was that? I'm going to say '84. I think I'm pretty. I think that was '84. So. Uh, in January of 84. So the Baranoff took off to southeast in January of 84, black codfish in the pots. And then we finished the conversion and then we headed up uh, by then uh, NIMPS, not NIMPS, the North Pacific Fishing Management Council had thrown us out of uh, eastern Alaska, made it illegal to longline black cod pots uh, pretty much east of uh, can, can, a fog neck. Can you explain long lining pots? Long lining pots? Yeah. Yeah, we had 20 millimeter ground line, and uh, every 100 fathoms, we'd have a gannion stuck into the long line with a C ring. Mm-hmm. 
and then we'd have these rectangular cod pots with cod tunnels in them and they weighed about they look a lot like a crab pot today no okay no I they're just they're rectangular they're not they're not oh. not a square type they're more of a rectangular and they weigh way less they were because in order to set them off on a house aft vessel you have to stand them up and shove them off. hand by hand and so it would take two guys to lift them. I think they were between 90 and 100 pounds each. And they're all tied together. They're secured, yeah. And so you would run out, and we'd set it about seven to eight knots. We got a little bit faster as we got better. And the, you'd set the anchor, you you know, throw the buoy over. And we're fishing uh, four or 500 fathoms to up to about 200 fathoms. So you let the buoy line stream out. We'd have these bins down the side, and the line would be laid out there with these rings uh, sitting there. I'm trying to recall those from memory. And then, yeah, so it's and just, then as you kick the first one over, and you got a limited amount of time to have first that next one, one over. Ready, right? You got a little bit. Yeah, you got you got 100 fathoms of line spooling out at seven knots. You're watching it, but you're... you got enough time to click the next one up, pounce it up on the rail. They're all stood up on end, pre-baited, ready to go. And then you just you fling it over. And we had about I think we started out with about a thousand of those things at the start, which was actually too many. Uh, but the whole thing was uh, pretty much financed by Nasui Corporation. They were the ones that wanted the boat to get into it. Could that be a little scary? Seeing, I mean, 200 pounds, still 200 pounds, especially when they're well, that's about flying a, off the well, back of the Well, yeah, if it hung up, yeah, it, it got a little freaky. Mm -hmm. you know, it, uh, it'd go scooting down that rail and uh, bang up against the house and ride up. Uh, but they got, they got pretty good at it. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of doing it sure. for a while practice doing that and then pulling them back up just the exact opposite right yeah we had a uh, larger block we bought from Marco and uh, they tested that on the Baranoff it was pretty good size I remember going with Chuck to the uh, fish expo I think about a year before that in the uh, and he saw that thing down there and he was they were, they were thinking about doing this and we were looking at it, and they bought two of them. They were, we called them swing haulers. They're they're pretty good. Set. They were about, Jesus, about three times the size of, of a, a of a crab of a Marco block. Yeah. And uh, it's probably five five feet in diameter. No, maybe not quite that much. But it was hauling twenty millimeter long line, mm -hmm. and uh, and a lot of it. Okay, so at this point, you're still only 34, 35? Yeah, I think. When you got yeah. the greatest. I know that you spent a number of years on there. Yeah. So um, over that amount of time, 22 years was it? Yeah, I think on the on the courageous, and then a couple. So you, the, got, you grew old on that boat. Yeah, real quick because yeah. it was a catcher process. Yeah. And in that amount of time, we did everything. How we, how, how often was the boat working? How many months? Yeah. Well, no, that that sucker worked all the time because we went from uh, uh, Dick Pace and uh, Bob Gilman were kind of involved in in coming up with ideas for us. Uh, we bought, uh, I bought into the boat in, uh, I think it was November, of, uh, November of 86, I believe. And, uh, and then I bought in, kept buying a little bit more into it as we went along. And, uh, those guys were pretty innovative on coming up with ideas. Uh, Chuck was pretty innovative on it. And so they got us, uh, they came up with, they sent, uh, Doug Wells, who was the relief captain, uh, and one of the owners over on the Baranoff, and he and I went up to look at a long line system, Mustad long line system in Canada, on a guy doing uh, shark, uh, mud, much uh, dogfish. And uh, so we uh, took a look at that, thought it was feasible, 
went out and we bought a reconditioned system and we put it on the boat and I th we started fishing cod, 88 I think, mm -hmm. when we started in the cod fishery. Uh, we went back to crab, we went back to paleo, uh, which we started doing that again. So this boat was working. Yeah, we would, we, so then we would do the cod, we'd long line the cod, but outside of that we did all sorts of dumb things. I remember the Baron went and did octopus with habitat pots, it was just, that was a joke. I went out and did uh, deep water single pot tanner, uh, we did Kagani crab, we were thinking about doing snails, uh, we, a couple trips to Russia, uh, yeah we would do, I mean we'd, sometimes we were lucky we'd get two months in at the shipyard. Wow. And, uh, they constantly, uh, not that it made money all the time, but they were constantly coming up with something. Something new. Something just, yeah, just, here, try this. And uh, when we took over ownership, when both boats went into that deal, that we took over ownership, they pretty well had lost that right, and Nasui had gotten out of it, and Dutch Harbor Seafoods had gotten out of it, to pretty much tell us this is what we had to do. Right. And got a uh, control over what the boat was. We had total be. control over, over those boats and managing them. So then you just. just but they came up with some. They would come up with these ideas, and uh, our uh, Chuck was always looking at that kind of stuff. You know, he would be looking at anything, and whatever, and would give it a shot. Anything to keep working. Which Chuck are we talking about? Chuck Hosmer. Okay. Yeah, he, he just uh, he's. I think he's still managing those boats. Those boats. Okay. Any exp any scary experiences up there? I mean, twenty two years, you got to have something that. Just scary, yeah. I mean, but anybody didn't have scary. You know, everybody has it. It's you're always you, something that's scary, scary. Do but you remember the first time you were scared? No, I, I was always scared. Okay. <laughs> I, I had Harley say the same thing. Like, uh, you, at, but I, you know, and I listen to Harley, and I think <coughs> it's it's not. You get scared, and it, and and it. If you're getting scared, it's only for a brief second. Especially guys like that have that position, like Harley or I've got, or any other captain's got that position out there. Sure, you're going to get that scared, but it's not going to be that I'm going to scream and holler scared, because right after you get that, Jesus, this is not going to go well. Crap, you've got to mitigate the circumstances, and you got to get your ass out of it. Yeah. And so you get focused, just like you're focused fishing, which is fishing is actually an extremely boring tedious task especially when you're pulling pots but you have to focus constant let me reword the question for you yeah uh, can you give me an example of a time when you had to get your ass out of it it's an example of a time where you're not sure of the outcome maybe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the worst storms I've ever been in my life has been up here off of about Triangle Island off to the north end that whole area in there has an anomaly to it of uh, these subtropical lulls will push in from the south, and then that continental maritime cold air will stay, stay there, and these storms will push in there, and they get pretty nasty. And they come up quick, and then they, they'll stall, and they'll start to back. And we were coming down in uh, beginning of December one year, and it uh, just nice, and too nice. And, uh, these too nice. Yeah, it was too nice, and the it was too warm, and the cloud formations and everything, and I kept calling Tofino, asking him about that, because uh, all of a sudden that friggin' uh, barometer started dropping about one millibar every 15 minutes, and so I kept getting this weather forecast out of Tofino, and I kept calling them up and asking them to reconfirm this forecast, and they were, they were not 
they weren't even close. And so this low had come up, pushed in there, and stalled and backed. And next thing you know, we're in, we're in these just horrendous seas in this 100 knot wind. And uh, it, the Courageous is a schooner rig. She was always good at running with it up to a point. Well, you reach that point where this is not a good idea. We're not going to run with it, and we're going to turn around, and we're just going to sit into it and ride this out. And we rode that thing out. It, it, I was impressed with the intensity of it. We were there for about 30 hours straight, heading northwesterly, but we were making about a knot and a half in a southeasterly direction. This thing was just pushing back. Yeah, it was pushing us down. And we ended up, I think, uh, just to the northwest of Brooks Peninsula, and we're down there. And I remember this uh, Canadian uh, version of their P-3, Canadian Air Force P-3. It kind of flew over us about every four or five hours. Or at one time they called down on the VHS and asked us how we were doing, and I'm going, oh, yeah, we're doing. That's, that's an intense it's, it, it's It's an intense storm, and uh, but it's not anything you guys don't see, and you just write it out. But... It was the, the, the wave height. The length of time, too. Yeah, the hours. length of time. It blew for a long time. And we blew that length to where we weren't going to turn around. If you didn't have some confidence, you wouldn't keep coming back. So you're kind of confident we're just going to ride this thing out. But I remember going down into the steering gear room, into the lazarette down there. We got two steering gears, electric, hydraulic, and listening to those things whine. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, Wonder when the last time those things were torn apart and looked at, and uh, so because uh, I realized if that fails in under these conditions we're going to broach and this is not good, mm -hmm. and so I, yeah I get you get a little those are the things but it's a constant stress yeah it's just a constant stress and yeah, fear is is something but you're stressing the whole time on making sure you just stay out of course I didn't sleep. Yeah. You know, I think I'd go back to sleep. We'd had a mate, and the mate was a great guy. Pat Wagner is one of my best friends. The guy's a great guy. And, uh, you know, you're up there, but you're still not sleeping. You're not yeah. back to sleeping. No. And I had a... <laughs> you're, you're, just, you're just trying to decompress from that stress of jockeying for the last uh, eight hours. And you're just <laughs> jockeying there. But the, the thought in process in you is you got a single engine, you got one prop, you got one rudder, and you got... Oh, we had double ups, two steering gears, but... In the uh, back of your mind, it's one problem. Well, in the back of your mind... Always there's never one thing that sinks a boat. It's always unfortunate events that come together. You can lose power and just sit there. You can lose power and catch fire. You lose power, catch fire, and start taking on water, you're in big trouble. Yeah. You know, you can work it out, but it's never just that one thing, so. Did those get inspected next ship here? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, they like tried and tried and tried and does Trident does a way better job than we did. So what year did you get off the Courageous then? And, and uh, I went out rationalization. 2004 was my last year. So what made you decide that that was it? I'm an old man. You're, you're One of those now. other times you're talking about. Ooh. I was sitting up in uh, December in 2003, and we tied her up. And we were going home for Christmas, and uh, the gal from uh, Amelia's called me. One of my guys is down there, just screwed up bad big time and he didn't make the plane and so it's just me and uh, I think the engineer left on board the boat we got tied up and uh, there's probably isn't one guy you haven't interviewed that runs a boat that hasn't gone through this one 
So she's calling me up. She says, I got to call the cops unless you come down and get them. So I, I, I go out, get the truck, go down, pick them up, get them down to the dock. And we're at the city dock up in Dutch. And tide's out. And they've got, it's, there's no real direct onto the boat. I got to step out onto those uh, huge fenders, built-in fenders that they've got there on that quay with him. And he's drunk. And uh, trying to get him back on the boat, and he loses his balance. And I reach out to hang on to him, and he goes. And unfortunately, or fortunately, he was a portly kind of guy, and he got stuck in between the bulwarks and the and the dock. Fortunately, the wind was blowing us right on, and he's wedged in there. Uh-huh. But I went the other way, and I'm leaning backwards, looking down at that water. And, you know, it goes right through your mind. If I hit that. No one's finding me. I'm not getting out of here. And, yeah. And I said, I'm just getting too old for this shit. That was it. That was it. <laughs> well, I was I, one of the mitigating. That was one of the final reasons. How'd going. you get him out from between the boat? I got off, got down there, and I reached over and find and just you know kind of drug him with him helping waited, and, waited and got him up. Yeah, it was yeah. It wouldn't be. It was bit. between the dock and the boat. They had these huge, large because they bring those freighters in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, city docks built for larger ships, not built for fishing boats. But we were there. That was just one of the last draws, you know. Yeah, yeah it's about time to... Yeah, time for somebody else now, to do it. you said you had an ownership interest in the boat. You still, yeah. or...? No, I, 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 they rationalized. Uh, corporation bought it out. Navy Corporation bought it out, and I sold out. Okay. And then retired for a little bit? Because Semi- I, I know you're back to work now. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Semi-retired. Semi. Yeah. Always kept your feet running anyway? Yeah. Just, you know, I worked some... Uh, had a nice little part-time relief summer job up on that ferry, the Coho, ran from Port Angeles and back, and mm-hmm. work on that, and pretty much then did nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, then did this job, yeah. which is uh, which you'll have the best advice probably from anybody we've had on here so far. When that you've you've heard me ask the question many times that our our fleet is getting uh, older and not younger. And, and needing new blood, and not just our fleet, but the, the entire industry in general. And you're probably in a unique position to tell people uh, what would be a good avenue to try to reach out to to enter this kind of industry. Oh, cold hard cash to the staffing manager. Right. Oh. Yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah. Because that's what you do now. In hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, I listen to you say that, and I say this to guys calling all the time because that's what I'm doing for Trident now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've, I actually been thinking about that, uh, and uh, it's a hard thing to really say other than just the pat things. But actually, uh, walking the dock, meeting the guys, putting yourself in a position into a in a job where uh, if you're not related, if it's a family thing, and if you're related, you're going to get a job. You don't have to do anything. But if you're not a related person, which a lot of people working for Trident aren't. They come out out of the blue is uh, you just got to get somewhere in a position to be familiar with the people that are working these boats and the other thing that's the main one if a lot of the fishing guys uh, come recommendation from the captains or the crews well the captain still has total control right they, well they have total controls but they really don't they're they're looking for people too they're they're, sure. they're looking for people too and they're their guys working for them have got friends and stuff but the other thing is, is if you've got uh, outside of common sense, 
and a good work ethic. If you've got a little bit of a background, I tell them if you get mechanics. Mm. If you can get anything to do mechanical, any work, if you can get any, you know, near in the marine industry, because that's a lot easier to get that job. And then get a familiarity with the industry and the boats. Just a little bit of that, it helps to try and present you to these guys. Mm -hmm. uh, to have that background's good. Mechanical background, uh, you can cook. Yeah, if you can cook, that's a big deal. Yeah, guys and, like to eat. Yeah, they like to eat, and uh, they'll be uh, a lot of captains will will go. Well, I haven't got a guy that can cook, and if he can meet the other criteria, that's mm -hmm. a big deal. It's a little thing. They all add up. Mm -hmm. I mean, persistence is it. You just be persistent as heck. You don't. When I tell you I don't have anything, you, you don't give that. You don't give up on me. Call back. You again. keep calling back again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's about a fifty percent washout rate at least. You know, it's it's that way. It's, it's a tough job up it's there. It's a hard job on people. It's not for everybody. It's fun. It's lucrative. It's uh, a whole different lifestyle, and there's a lot of independence. And you really, these guys really don't take a lot from a lot of people mm -hmm. you know, I mean they're very they are they 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 take a lot from those captains that's for sure and not from the rest of the world right? but not 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 from life in general yeah they're just uh, different people before we close out boat dreams you're not gonna ask me about the strikes are you the strikes no okay good never uh, mind <laughs> what well first of all I thought you'd have Way more animated stories because I talk to you like quite often. I've got them, and you're but like I'm not giving, the, yeah, and you're yeah. like one of the most animated storytellers ever. Yeah, so and, and now I'm getting that. Well, I went on, you know, for two years. I did this, and we were. <laughs> well, I give you animated I like stories. I feel like you're taming her down here. I am. <laughs> so, so well, most of these guys are still alive, so I got to be careful. Be, can't, can't ride them out yet. Give me back in ten years. <laughs> so, um, what about boat dreams? Did you? Did you have boat dreams? Oh yeah, everybody has a boat dream. You mean going up the river and, and there's not enough water and yeah, Something. and you wake up. It's a frustration dream. Just that very vivid, vivid dream. Oh, real vivid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You look yeah. over the side and there's any water there, and you're driving on land kind of, yeah. <laughs> on your boat. Uh, yeah, and, and you're yeah. So, but what it is is frustration dream. You have the boat dream when the crab pots come up empty. Yeah, I watched that movie. Uh, what is that? The storm thing on the East Coast. Uh, what's that? Uh, perfect storm. Perfect storm. And I'm thinking the only part of that was true is when the captain was up in that wheelhouse crying because he wasn't catching anything. Andrea Gale. Yeah. Yeah. She went down. No, no, she went or down. She That's true. That. that part's yeah. true too. But uh, you know, a lot there was a lot of drama in there. But the real drama was when he was crying because he wasn't catching anything. <laughs> Yeah. He's got all those guys down there staring at him on percentage. Well, that's just it. When you're the captain, you're 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 in charge of the boat, and it's a great big deal, right? But when you're not catching anything, those guys down on deck are they're not. It's happy. all your fault. If we were opie fishing in the pot, the nice thing about us, we were opie fishing and the pots went dry, and they went dry, and they were didn't look like it was going to get any better. The next thing I know, there'd be this freaking codfish hanging from the lip of the wheelhouse down in front of me. They'd want to go codfishing now. Oh, that's how oh, they yeah, told yeah, you? Yeah, that's how they said it's time to switch over. Really? Yeah, because you used to fish it back when we were doing it. I mean, when we started fishing opies, they closed by regulation in August. And the first few years we did it, uh, they uh, they would close it because they'd get soft. You know, the guys would go way up north, and by June they'd get soft. The crab would actually get crab, soft. The crab would get they're, soft. They'd get a few of those deliveries in, and then the ADF&G would call it. They were starting to shed. Yeah. And the uh, first year we went to Russia, I think, 
Holy crap! Uh, it drove the price into the bottom. We didn't make any mo any money on that Russian trip, but I think they put away over 320 million pounds of paleo. They flooded the friggin' market, and the price just went. The finished product price. We got paid on finished product price. The the Russians did? No, or, or just for, uh, in for, general. For, you know, being a catcher processor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We got paid on uh, finished product only. I see. Well, the the industry's changed a lot since the time you started. Oh God, yeah, oh yeah. Both uh, in, in, actually, every aspect of it. Uh, the aspect of the hard work hasn't changed. No, it's crab fishing is a hard job. It, it's it's those guys, and I don't know if the rationalization has really changed the attitude of time is money. These guys go up there; they want to. It 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 gives you that little cushion as to whether or not you're going to go, you're going to lay up, or whether you're going to go out. You, you still got to you still got to expect uh, every the, day too. These guys have got, yeah, and they know that it isn't going to do them any good to be up there for three weeks when they can get down in two. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. uh, it makes sense, and they're hard driving people to begin with. Well, they've been that way. That's what got yeah, them. Yeah, they, they 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 achieve that position because they they're they're that personality. They're hard drivers. Yeah, well, it takes a lot to get there. To get there, you know. No, I just stumbled into it. I had bad luck. Yeah, it, I, sounds, it sounds like it. Well, I, the later, I uh, had no experience, right? And so now I've owned part of the boat, and the guy that I was working for as the manager is now working for us. And I got him in a bar one day, and we I think we were up at Juno on an ADF and G meeting thing over that Observer deal. And uh, I just kind of look at him, and I go, why in the hell did you ever hire me? I'd never been fishing before. I didn't have that much master's time. And he looks at me and said, well, I only had three guys apply for the job. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, I got out of the newspaper, for God's sakes. You just, yeah, you're, you're, mowing, I, yeah. you're mowing the lawn. And, and I go, I was what you said, one of the guys was 78, and the other guy had just gotten out of rehab. And I looked at him and I went, oh, shit, I should have asked for more money. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. Well, we're running skinny on time here, Pat. But uh, do you have, do you have anything you feel you need to tell us before we go? No, I'm done. Uh, yeah, you... <laughs> it's a good thing I wasn't drinking. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can crystal, have me back then. You can get crystal, me, yeah. crystal water here. Uh, if you want the stories, you can have me back. I was doing the political thing here. Okay. Well, was it all right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're not done yet. Oh. <laughs> Okay, guys. With uh, Pat, thanks for coming today. Yeah. It has been fun. We did get some stories, uh, and it's it's always good just to see all the different perspectives of, uh, you know, every captain we have on. In fact, a, a letter we got from Sue Freeze that we read on the air a while back, uh, kind of says it all. Everyone's got a different story, uh, a different uniqueness to them, and that's what I think draws the listeners into listening. Is you don't know what you're going to get, you know. Um, so anyway, thanks for coming today. I hope you. Well, yeah. No, it was great. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. This has been another installment of Galley Stories, uh, Stories of the Bering Sea and Beyond. And uh, if you uh, have any questions, comments, or concerns, or just uh, want to contact us in general, it's mark at galleystories.net. And you can find us on Facebook at Galley Stories as well. And uh, we will see you guys next time. <laughs>